And back in for another episode of the JDV Experience. Joining me today is Michael Telford, and also commonly known as Late Round Corner. Or Chips. Or Chips. Who's getting to that? We've got uh, he's a big Baltimore Ravens fan, big draft nerd, especially when it comes to cornerbacks, hence the name Late Round Corner. And he apparently thinks that he's going to try to play NCO today. Controlled me for four hours, but we'll see how that goes. How are you doing tonight, man? Not bad, man. Thanks for having me on. I mean, yeah, there is going to be some trolling going on, and we'll get to it. I'm not going to go I'm, right in. I'm sure. It. I'm sure. But, I mean, this is – we've only been trying to get this – make this happen for two weeks now. So, when you kind of account all that in, perhaps there's some that I've earned. Um, especially with the combine being gone for a week. I was not, I recorded one podcast up there. I was supposed to do another one and the dude got sick and uh, postponed. And I was kind of like, well, I'm really glad he did because that was, that was very difficult doing that up there. But so I guess we could start a little bit talking about you, right? Like how you kind of got into football, how you got in the writing side. I know that you did, did some stuff in the, in the past before you got with me, you know, and, helped out with draft right now you know football sapien yeah i uh so i played high school football and it i'm six foot now when i started playing football i was about a foot shorter in the same weight so i started off as running back and then between freshman and sophomore year i shot up about a foot moved to cornerback and was a cornerback up until my senior year uh went to the army uh got out of the army Went to college, thought I might try to play football in college, walked on, and I was like, no, absolutely <laughs> fucking not. <laughs> guys were massive, dude. Uh, since then, man, like, I have always been very vocal about my football opinions, my takes, and I've, I've grown to carefully follow the draft and learn about how players become good and what constitute a good player at what position and so on and so forth. And uh, I've always thrown my takes out there. And then when I moved to Twitter, I got picked up by, I want to say maybe it was Raven's Wire uh, by USA Today. Uh, And I didn't last there that long because for anybody that is watching this that knows me, uh, I'm kind of an asshole. Uh, (laughs) And that that transfers through my uh, writing as well. So they didn't like that I would take the opportunity to troll certain players like Rashad Perriman um in my articles and i wrote one really long lengthy article about alex collins and i was like well this is not for me uh and i went to i think i had a a quick stop somewhere else but i ended up at russell street report uh which is a massive uh ravens fan blog and then i started my own site neutral zone infraction uh that quickly got out of hand between you know, my 50, 60 hour work weeks and trying to manage that. So that went by the wayside. And then John, uh, you reached out to me and we decided to do draft right. And then draft right went sideways. And now here we are. <laughs> and this one has not gone sideways. So that's a, uh, a good sign, I guess. Uh, I've done a bunch of podcasts. I had my own podcast. I've done my own writing. I've done editing. I've done pretty much you name it. This past year, I really haven't done anything. Uh, just been focusing on growing my flooring business, and uh, this might give me a, a kick in the ass to get started again, I guess. Yeah, so I think when you kind of like start your own website and it goes and it fails, 
and you, you, you get a really good opportunity to kind of look at that and be like, well, where, why did it fail? You know, what did I do wrong? And I hope that's what I learned, you know, with draft, right. In the sense that, you know, there's, and when you're, when you're managing, you know, like a website, you, you represent more than just yourself at that point, you represent the entire website and everyone's going right. to recognize that, you know, and I think that was one of the biggest lessons that I learned from that, but, you know, neutrals on infraction was a good one too. You guys had a lot of promise with that. And yeah, like you said, managing a website is insane sometimes. And it was kind so, of the same thing too. Like every, uh, not everyone that I brought on to work there was a dick, but like a, a good majority of them are trolls and dickheads. <laughs> and still to this day, there's Ravens fans that are like, oh, the NCI guys. And I'm like, dude, NCI hasn't existed for like uh, six, eight, nine months, whatever. Like, let it go. <laughs> but it does show you that like if, when you're old, managing a website, it's a little bit different. Or even just part of a re- website. You represent the website as well as yourself. So, Yeah, so it kind of growing that temperament is kind of the deal, but that's okay. That's one of the things that we learned. There's a lot of other stuff that we get into and maybe in another podcast, because what we're actually going to talk a little bit today about, you've been looking forward to this. We're going to start here with cornerbacks, specifically cornerbacks in the draft. And I wanted to bring you onto this because when you're at the combine, uh, the media days that are going on, you do a lot of, there's a lot of people that are in that media room. They're all crowded around the booths. They're all kind of hanging out there. Ah, booth. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> so it's crazy. It's a crazy environment because especially with the top tier players, you know, they're all, there's, you know, 40, 50 people standing there at that podium, just like, wait, just inching on every word. Right. And you've got other guys that are in that room that have maybe one or two people standing there asking them questions so i'm not good at working those you know those podiums like that with all those people a lot of the questions i think that they ask are really stupid like you know what's your favorite color like uh you're about to get into the nfl man like why do i care what your favorite color is yeah they're like Um, layup questions it's like they try to make the prospect feel more comfortable but honestly they just treat them like kids yeah exactly and it's I mean, there's a good question that comes out every once in a while. And then you have the horrible ones. Like I think a couple of years ago and Okuda went through and that random dude from, I forget what the website was, you know, didn't know what he was talking about and asked him some stuff, which I was trying oh, to yeah. avoid. And Okuda was just <laughs> like, you might want to go watch the tape again, dude. <laughs> so anyways, yeah. So that's, that's kind of the atmosphere of media days. It's a little bit of a frenzy. And so I got a lot of one-on-ones. I uh, kind of got in with the escorts, right? Talked with the escorts, made friends with them that are moving the players from location to location. Kind of got to know some of the CBS producers and people like that too that were in the back of the room and pulling these prospects on and off their stage to do interviews. And they were getting, you know, top guys. And so I started catching a lot of these guys, you know, in between going from either the podium back to, you know, the, the, the back room, wherever they were hanging out or coming off the stage. And so um, we have some really good one-on-one opportunities that I wanted you to live react to because I think that would help um, as like a first impressions kind of thing and then kind of get into the player a little bit as well. Before we get to that, though, 
you did have some thoughts on Sauce Gardner, the corner out of Cincinnati, that we wanted to get into. We'll get into the Darian Kendrick stuff that I know you're looking forward to in a little bit, but that's where, where I think we should start is right there with uh, Sauce Gardner. And you're not as high on him as a lot of other people are in the class. I am not, man. Like, it, you talk about cornerbacks and the good cornerbacks, they have a foundation, they have technique, good technique, and they build everything else from that. Gardner is a splash corner with no technique. He's Marcus Peters without the intelligence and without the at least basic fundamentals. Like he's very, maybe Marcus Peters is a bad example. Maybe <laughs> uh, the kid on the Cowboys. Oh, the rookie kid? Yeah, Diggs. Uh, Diggs. Thank you. Uh, like Diggs actually probably has better technique than, than Gardner does. Uh, but he's very boomer bust. He gives up a bunch of yards. He'll make your splash plays. But like, he's not, and this sounds ridiculous because Diggs had a hell of a year. But if you look at the deeper metrics and you look like look at what he gave up and everything like that, then you start to see that, you know, if that goes the other way and the wide receiver gets the ball instead of the corner, which rookie cornerbacks can have a tendency to have a rough, start to their career so if that goes the other way then you're like why the hell did we take this guy in the first round why did we take him in the top 10 the top 15 the top 20 and Gardner has some of that he uh sorry I'm switching back and forth between my notes here uh he grabs a lot and holds which I'm fine with if you can get away with it Gardner doesn't get away with it he's extremely blatant about it and that is going to hurt your team because we've all seen the NFL cracking down on stupid ticky-tack penalties this year. So if you're taking a guy like that in top 10 or top 15, because, you know, the Ravens fan base is like, oh, bring me Sauce Gardner. Relax. I get it. He gets interceptions. He He's around the ball. I understand that. He's not – he is a fundamentally flawed cornerback. And if you add uh, – penalties on top of that then you're going to be pissed off at your cornerback you're going to be pissed off at your team for taking him that high he doesn't have great build he's a little skinny like me when i was playing corner uh and his foot but his footwork is not great i'm big on watching corners that have footwork uh and he's just not one of those guys and it hurts his angles it hurts his pursuit it hurts his work at the line of scrimmage He's not going to be like a top of the line press corner. So he could end up being schematically dependent until he gets his footwork worked out. Now you see people that are saying that he's CB1, like above Derek Stingley, above Andrew Booth, above uh, not Matt Elam, uh, Kair Elam. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, you got him above all of these guys. And I don't think that he belongs there. Now, do I think a team will fall in love with his booms? Absolutely. But you have to be aware of the bus. You cannot ignore those when you're looking at a prospect. You have to look at the good and the bad. Kind of the, the deal with him, too, is, um, and this is crazy, too, to say, but right now, with the way, from what I've been hearing and what I, you know, people that I've been talking to and stuff, like he might be the first corner off the board. What? He might be going top 10. 
and that's sweet you know, dude take them top 10 because i don't want them in baltimore <laughs> and and that's like i think i just mocked him you know my mock draft yesterday i think i had him going to the jets at 10 which is i mock him every time he tries to make a tackle <laughs> but it, it's kind of one of the things that it's interesting that you brought up you know this press technique too because uh I, I was having a talk with a, a coach in the league that's been in the league for about 40 years now, uh, and a defensive coordinator. And I, I was asking him about corners because of Gardner, because of Sauce, and saying, you know, is there a certain point where they're too tall? And the first thing he said is, you know, the number, the corner needs to be, you know, if they're tall, they need to be really good in man, specifically press man. And yeah, and my no I've got my notes pulled up on him too right now. Tight coverage on quick routes, but he surrenders a lot of space on anything prolonged, you know? And that's the deal is he gets so physical, overly physical, he loses that pad level. And at the line of scrimmage, he likes to punch and jab and everything like that, and that's fine. That's what you're supposed to do. His handwork isn't that bad in press, but if you don't have the footwork and the technique, you're going to get trounced coming out of it. Yeah, And down exactly. the field, obviously. Yeah, and that's kind of his issue too is he doesn't, recover well at all you know and in those certain situations coming out of press at least i thought his man coverage was decent i thought he despite that i mean he struggled against the bigger receivers uh which is crazy because who did he play his entire career well that's but, the other I mean, thing too right like the level of competition is not very good i mean he did okay against uh who's the kid that told james, yeah james williams williams yeah, yeah. He did all right against him, but you look at the level of competition beyond that, and it's middling. Well, look at the routes that Alabama ran in that game, too, against him, which, you know, he didn't really see anything other than the same three routes. Right. It was a, a go. It was a very basic route. And, and a slant. Yeah, and it was because Alabama was cruising through that game going, yeah, we're just going to get through it and play Georgia. But, um, no, I, I, I agree with you. He's not particularly a wrap-up tackler. Um he goes for the hit low, and he, so he tries to throw his body. Yep. And I've got, let's see. I mean, obviously, he changes direction pretty well. Um, we saw that through combine drills, too. Yeah. Um, which I haven't added anything to my notes since the combine. This is all pre-combine stuff. Um, and I'm not saying that he won't be a good corner in time. I just, he's not the guy that I'm taking first. Like, if you give me yeah. the opportunity, if you tell me that 10 cornerbacks are going picks one through 10, he's probably four or five for me. Well, the issue that I kind of have, and this is a point that I brought up, and you said you didn't read my article because the title was stupid or something. Um, I meant to go read it after that, and I still didn't. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I think so. I think that I think you can kind of get to a point where corners are too tall to be, you know, successful at the next level. And it's right around that six two range. You know, a few years ago, they started talking about this new prototype corner that was coming out. Right. Um, basically, in the mold of Richard Sherman. And you can look at these guys. I've got six guys on the list that have been taken in the first couple rounds in the in a high third round pick of guys that are corners that were taken over 6'2". And the list looks like this. It's Greedy Williams, second right. round. Unproven. Bonnie Johnson Jr., second round. Okay. 
Kevin King, second round. Okay. Quincy Wilson, second round. Uh, Kevin King was 6'3", by the way. Akela right. Witherspoon. Akela Witherspoon, I think is how you say his name. He's 6'3". And Stanley Jean Baptiste out of Nebraska, second round. Yeah. And so all these guys are taken in the, you know, the top six, 70 picks of the class. Greedy is the only one they... that might be worth a shit. Well, you can make an argument for Kevin King. Yeah. He's been so Gre- up and Greedy's, down. Greedy's like, Greedy's like, you know, number three on his de- on the death chart right now in Cleveland. Like he's so not. I give corners three years to show me who they are. I feel like okay. rookie corners need a three-year span to show me who they are. Greedy is, and you know me, I hate the Browns, but Greedy, I think, gets a little bit more time because of the injuries and everything like that. Okay. And then Witherspoon, you could make an argument for because he got on the 49ers, I believe. I mean, that's true. But I think my big argument for that is, well, what were they asking him to do on the 49ers? The same that they asked Richard Sherman to do, which mm-hmm. was a lot of zone coverage stuff. So, And the Niners are not like – their secondary since Sherman – their secondary, even with Sherman, is like it hasn't been good the past few years. I, I don't think they rely on their secondary as much as they rely on that front seven to make up for the problems. Well, that's the that's the thing because if you look at what San Francisco does, is they play a lot of zone coverage, and there's not a lot of NFL teams that still do that today. Right, and that's just because zone coverage is so easy for these modern passing schemes to manipulate and and exploit, and so. It's like even in the Super Bowl, it was the Super Bowl, I believe, right? Yeah, the Super Bowl against uh, against the Chiefs when the 49ers played a couple of years ago. Sammy Watkins torched Richard Sherman in the fourth quarter, setting up you know that big touchdown that got them back in the game. And why was that? Because he knew, he watched on tape, it's all that Sherman, his quote, he could kill, he saw Devontae Adams kill Richard Sherman on the inside release, unquote. So he knew that if he got a good inside release on him, and he was in a man-covered situation, Sherman would surrender that to him, and he did, and he pulled it off. And, I mean, it seems to be a consistent issue with anyone over 6'2", where if you are a cornerback, because normally if you're that tall, you're playing safety, but if you're a corner, you're 6'2", or over, the issue that you seem to have is your pad level and reactive athleticism. I mean, yeah, I, I can get with that because if so, another part of that is the fact that receivers in the league are, so we used to, when we talked about receivers, to flip this around because it's kind of the same, but also kind of the opposite when you're talking about cornerbacks and receivers. Right. We used to talk about guys that were 6'3", 6'4", you know, 200 some pounds and, you know, big mothers that could catch the ball. And now you look at the guys that are having the most success. Your Tyree Kill, your, uh, I mean, Marquise Brown had a weak thousand yard season, but uh, Devonta Smith looks like he's probably going to be good. Smaller guys are getting more play time. Cooper Cup is not an overly large dude, and he was a monster this year. So as the wide receivers kind of shift back towards a smaller breed, if that's what they're going to do, then the corners can't overcompensate in size because they're not going to be able to keep up with them. They're not going to be able to shift with them, run with them, 
No. And so you look at Sauce Gardner, and he's right there at six three, you know, mm-hmm. and a little a good bit over it, kind of pushing on six four. And he, like you said, he is lang. He is he's he's very slim. You know, he's long, but he's slim. And he looks yeah. more like a basketball doppelganger out there, honestly, than anything else. But yeah, six three and one ninety is not a whole lot of size. No, if you're yeah, a it's it's very man. obvious. Yeah, and that's kind of the issue too. Is all right. Well, if you're gonna get up against a bigger guy, let's say let's say you can actually keep with the smaller guys. You know, which I'm. You and I obviously both have doubts about. Yeah, his long but speed and his, his upkeep ability are questionable. Well, that's the thing. It tested very well with the long speed, you know? Yeah, but uh, testing speed and game speed are worlds apart. You, like, uh, obviously, people... Traylon Burks ran, what, a 4.55? Do you believe he's a 4.55 guy by watching his game? No, because I watched him outrun the entire Alabama secondary. Exactly. <laughs> and that's kind of what I try to tell people, too, sometimes. is It's like, you know, some guys run run the same speed with the pads on. Other guys don't. Right. Know? But I thought Gardner had good speed. I thought he was going to run a 4-5. But, yeah, what he, what was it, like a 4-3 something that he ran? Yeah. But, yeah, no, I think, I four, think that's kind of the issue with What's the official? Four three one. No, four four one was the official. Oh, four four one was the official. Okay, so I wasn't too far off, but um, no, that's interesting right there. So, well, I guess you think about it, right? Again, he's a slim dude. You add the extra weight of the pads, it's gonna slow him down. You put him in t-shirt and shorts, he's gonna run a little faster. Yeah, no, okay, that's fair. And the other thing too is, you know, a lot of people have been talking about this year is that turf was put in after the twenty twenty combine. And they think that that had a lot to do with it too. Well, the fact that there were 31 players that ran a sub 4-4 or whatever it is, or sub 4-3 is insane. Yeah. Yes, it is. And it's never happened before. So it seems not even close. Everyone was running faster than they than on that turf than they normally did. Probably picked up a good 0.5 seconds. So he might actually be closer to that four or five range in general anyways yeah so might as well start getting into this stuff we'll start with the heavy hitter uh Derek Stingley Jr. out of LSU this is a guy that's right now believe it or not I don't know if we've talked about this a lot or not he's expected to fall a good bit in this draft and it goes back to the non-consistent tape over the last few years or two years at LSU and the injuries that have kept him out of games. And especially when you look at the UCLA game, there were, there was, it was not the same type of energy that you were accustomed to seeing with him. Right. And of course he was out three games later. He was done for the year, had that big game against central Michigan. But again, that's, you know, central fucking Michigan. So Quick thoughts, initial thoughts that you might have on him. I figured that'd probably be a good place to start, and then we'll go uh, to the interview. Stingley is my favorite corner in the draft. I think everybody that knows me knows that. Uh, mm-hmm. I have, I know that his, um, I know that he has limited tape since 2019. I also know that what he showed in 2019 
is who he is. Like the, he, he obviously had a bit of a drop off in 2020 and 2021. He missed games, he missed time, he got uh, injured and his play wasn't quite the same. As a cornerback, you kind of have to be in the flow. And I don't think that Stingley ever got back into the flow after 2019. Um, and you can make the argument that defensive coordinators had a lot to do with that too, because they switched, because they lost Aranda to Baylor 2019 right. to 2020 and had that abhorrent season on defense. Correct. I And I mean, when you're talking about when you were talking about, uh, pro- we were talking about prototypical cornerbacks earlier. Mm-hmm. He is a prototypical cornerback for the outside, obviously not for the slot, but uh, he's insanely good in press. Uh, he's good when he's backpedaling. He's good with his footwork. He's good with his handwork. Uh, he's got good size. Uh, he's got good leverage. He's got good jumps. He's got good speed. He's got burst. He's got literally everything you could want in a cornerback. I don't know why people are questioning this. I don't get it. People are like, the people that say Gardner is better than him. No, he's not. Not right now. (laughs) As a prospect, Derek Stanley Jr. is, he's better than Jeff Okuda was as a prospect. He's better than who was the guy before Okuda or after Okuda? Patrick Sertain. Well, Sertain might be a little bit better. But I, mean, I think it's more versatile. I think it, is, it can maintain that. Yeah. I just, man, like Stingley had good tape in 2020 and 2021. The fact that people are like, these are his down years. If that's the down year from a cornerback, like that's what you want. It, it wasn't like he was terrible. He didn't suddenly turn into, nope, can't say that one. I talked to an agent and I can't say that name anymore. But it's, <laughs> it's not like he turned into Sharice Wright all of a sudden in 2020 and 2021. Like, he was still a very good cornerback. He does have some areas to work on. He's going to be a rookie, you know? Like, he, yeah. he needs to trust himself a little bit more. Uh, I think he needs to believe in himself, and I think that will translate into his game a lot more. I, I think that uh, he has a little stutter step when he's trying to – like he comes out of a break and he has this little like hitch in his step that I hate. It annoys the hell out of me. And I don't know where it came from because I don't think I saw it in 2019. He needs to get rid of that because it loses him maybe a couple tenths of a second on the receiver, but he can get burned by that when he's facing, say, a Tyree Kill or uh, even one of the like the route guys. So um, I'm not saying he's a perfect prospect. But I do think that he is clearly the top cornerback prospect in this draft. Let's go ahead and roll that uh, interview with him. That should be over there. So for you. you got you played at LSU. You know you got that valid that number seven this year. Can you talk a little bit about what that meant to you as the player? Um, it it was a big deal to me getting number seven because you know the people who's had it in the past they it, they've done a lot in their careers at LSU and um, when I got it I was just hoping to go out there and just play me. Awesome. So talk about your technique a little bit when you're playing and specifically in that man coverage. Like what do you like to do? What's your favorite kind of setup? Well, really it depends on the receivers. So if I have quicker guys, I, sometimes I'll choose to try to get hands on early or get them some space to get, let them kick, get going a little bit. Cause, you know I can run with them. 
Um, but if it's a bigger receiver, I, that's when I really try to, you know, uh, stuff him at the line to the best of my ability. So um, uh, it's really a different approach with everybody. And your rehab's gone really well up to this point yes, so far? Yes, it's going great. Awesome. Good to hear, man. Yep. Hey, good luck. So I absolutely love the fact that um, Stingley has a different plan for different types of receivers. You will find that cornerbacks from time to time, not the great ones, not even the good ones, but the median of cornerbacks will use the same technique on every receiver they face. Doesn't matter if it's tight end, running back, receiver, slot receiver, does not matter. They use the same technique. I love that Stingley has a different plan for every receiver he faces. You can see it in his play, obviously. He'll switch yeah. up his technique and, and the way that he attacks or lets off the receiver. Um, and I think that's something very important to help him become one of those top tier NFL cornerbacks. Because without that, he would have to learn all of that. And learning all of that is a process, which is why I give the corners three years to see, show me what you're made of. And he's already there is what you're yeah. saying. If he's talking about these different techniques like that. He at least has the mindset, even if he doesn't have a plan for every single kind of receiver he's going to meet in the NFL, like he has the mindset that like, hey, I have to figure this out. So I like Stingley a lot, obviously. I think he's, I'm with you there. He's by far the best player at the cornerback position. You could make the argument that based on his 2019 tape, he's the best player in the draft right now. Correct. Well, no, you can't. Kyle, Kyle Hamilton exists. Okay, okay. Kyle Hamilton is the generational prospect. If you can call any of these guys in this class generational, that's him. Yeah, but you could and make I, the argument that he is the second best prospect in the draft. But, yeah, so I like Stingley. I think, I think you know, he's got the 23 starts. He was a five-star guy. His granddad was, you know, played for the Patriots years and years ago. Got knocked out of football, is paralyzed for life kind of stuff, you know. So, interesting story overall, I think. And, um, you know, his family very deeply in football. And that's a big deal, too. So I think those are all good things. I think that's helped him with his mindset and his prep to make him a pro. Well, I think you also need, like, you need motivation, something other than money. You know what I mean? Like, if your only motivation for making it in the NFL is money, you're not going to make it through your rookie contract. Not going to make it through your rookie contract. Yeah, and I think that's it. His family has been a big part of this his entire life. Right. So um, I do think that helps. I'm going to agree with you there. Right. Moving on to the next guy. The next guy that I want to talk, I want to touch on specifically just because you mentioned that is uh, about the way that he preps is Roger McCreary out of Auburn. This is a, you know, a little bit of an undersized guys. There are some media scouts that have some issues with his arm length. Um, which I'm going to bring up in the interview too, but, and I like his, the answer I thought was interesting that he gave me, but I'll go ahead. Let's go ahead and roll that. No, no, sorry. Initial thoughts on Roger McCreary before we start. I love Roger McCreary. I think he has inside outside versatility. Um, I don't think his size is necessarily an issue because if you do put him inside, like that's your prototypical slot corner size. You know what I mean? Like he and the way that he plays the receiver and the ball at the same time, 
is something that you can't really teach. Like generally it's either play the ball or play the receiver. He tries to play it, but like he's constantly like messing with their hands and getting his hands in their face when they're at the catch point, stuff like that. Um, his tackling is top tier. He's one of the, I think he's one of the best tacklers uh, as far as DB, DBs go in this draft. Um, he's tough. He's physical for like a smaller guy. You're getting a lot in that package. So I don't think you really have to worry about, uh, you know, his size too much. Uh, he is good in press man. He's good in zone. Um, he has enough speed to keep up with faster guys. Uh, you look at his game tape against Alabama. Like he was annoying to them. <laughs> yeah, he, you got that right. Yeah, he was a menace. So, I mean, obviously against taller wideouts, uh, he's going to have issues. So you're going to want to try to keep him in the slot, uh, keep him against the smaller guys, keep him as a matchup corner. Um, obviously, I think that he has some technique stuff to work on. Uh, but like I said, most of the corners in this draft have technique stuff to, yeah. to go on. One of his biggest things is the breaks. Uh, he needs to take better angles uh, and figure out how to get out of his break a little bit smoother and a little bit faster. Go, let's go ahead and roll this interview uh, with Roger McCreary. So, I love your game, first off. I'm just going to start off practicing with that, with, like, you know, what you did at Auburn, and that's the SEC level, and I thought you do really well, especially with, like, somebody being physical, you know, throughout the route and stuff. So, talk a little bit about some of that adjustment that you're going to have to make, because in the NFL, you just got those first five yards. Um, that... It's just like me being more just patient with that. Um, I know I'm more like aggressive when the receiver gets into his route. So it's just like me, me being more patient to trust my feet. So going to the next level, I know about the depth five yards you can't touch after the receiver. I'm not I'm not bothered by that at all because you can always adjust. And I feel like I'm the person who adjusts to the system easily. Awesome. So some of the things that have come out, you know, pre previous lately is you like some people showing some arm concern length. To me, that's not a big deal. But to some of these other teams that might be asking about that, how are you? How are you answering those questions? Um, no team ever asking about my arm length. Really, also. But, but just like think just the rumors about my arm length and everything, it just it, it don't phase me at all because they like people are just looking for something to talk bad about you. So I really don't care because I'm always I always know I'm a great player. So that's my mentality every time. Just to play. I don't care. When you get into man coverage, what's that technique that you like to go to and use? Um, my technique that I like to use is um, leverage step, offhand jam. And that's why I love to do the most, just be patient and offhand jam. That's what I do. Awesome. Last question that I'll ask you, because I think you're waiting to go on serious and all that. So what is the most important trait that you think that you bring to the field? Um, the most important trait I start bringing is, is just like my man coverage. Um, with that, just, just the man locking the guy up. And um, my football IQ, recognizing the play before it happened, like being more smarter of the game, and just me like adjusting to different zones because I didn't only just play man. I played man, zone, cover two, and a lot of other stuff. Awesome. Thanks a lot, dude. Looking forward to seeing you at the next. So I'm a big fan of the fact that when you asked him, uh, like, what's his biggest strength, he immediately went to man. We kind of touched on that earlier that like I'm not a lot of NFL teams are going to play zone much anymore. So the fact that he's like, I'm a man corner, is, <laughs> I mean, that's huge for him.
uh, I mean, we know that he can play that stuff. Uh, maybe not cover three. Uh, maybe stick to cover two. Uh, but man, man, uh, I think he's decent enough in press. And I think that he has enough skill in zone that if you stick him at slot corner, uh, you know, and you're, if you're a team that runs a slot corner, what, 75% of the time or more, uh, I think you're very happy with him as an inv investment in the late first or the, the second round. And that's the thing too, is, you know, I, I honestly believe that, you know, arm, arm length at that position is a concern to NFL teams. And that's why I brought that up. And when he said, you know, like, he was like, nobody's asked me about that in the league. But, but you know, so here would be my question, right? Like, why do you think it's a concern? You personally? Personally? I don't. I don't think it's a concern. Why do you the think only... that the NFL teams would think it was a concern? Length. The length. Being able to get it up in there, make up for any difference that you have when you're, if... you know, reacting. But if teams are viewing him as a slot corner, then the length doesn't matter as much anymore. And plus, he has some good hops. Well, that's true. But I thought perhaps he would be, you know, recognized or or viewed perhaps as a potential, you know, investment as a boundary corner, not right away. Start him in the slot, try to move him to the boundary because his size isn't terrible. Correct. It's and he has, he has skill outside. So, I mean, I just, think he has the versatility. is under... 30 inches and that was so when teams weren't asking him that i think that was the telltale for me that said okay we're, we're not looking at him as we're not project we're not going to project him as a boundary corner right away because nobody's quote nobody's worried about that well but the other reason was, that they might not be worried is maybe teams are just falling in love with his versatility because if you look at him and you look at the way that he plays inside outside he could play some as a third safety uh or a sorry a free safety so you look at a guy like that and you look at the versatility and you look at the raw ability that he has and i mean that's an investment pick you know that if you have a good cornerback coach like you're going to turn this kid into something so i don't think you have to worry about his arm length uh i mean you look at his overall size anyway you know he's not going to have the longest arms uh you know, he's not a pterodactyl like Gardner. Uh, so I, I think you can make adjustments for that and kind of focus fire him as a slot corner, which maybe that drops drops his draft stock a little bit. And it's unfortunate because I think he's very talented. But if it was me, I'm picking him as a slot corner. Yeah, he did really well at Auburn. I mean, you brought up specifically that um, that Alabama game at the end of the year this year where he was doing an excellent job, you know, covering, especially on that last drive, you know, they almost did the score because of Roger McCreary, you know, making that play right there at the end zone. But yeah, I like him a lot. I think he's a great boundary defender, you know, and that's somebody that I want to have in the flat, especially if I'm going to be facing a team that's going to run, you know, a lot to the boundaries, like, you know, these, what are they uh, like the Rams, the 49ers? Now, I guess the Dolphins. You got a team yeah. like that that you're going to be facing. This is a really valuable guy because, like you said, he is arguably the best tackler from a DB standpoint 
in this class. And I like that about him too. I, <clears throat> I love corners that can tackle people. And he's got enough physicality for his size that it's not just like a stronger guy isn't necessarily just going to run through him. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And I think that's not going to be too much of a concern, but it was a good interview. I didn't think, uh, actually, that one's up on uh, Football Sapien. So if you want to take a look at the transcript, that's up there. But it was a little bit, it was very difficult to go through it and transcribe that one just because of, you know, some of the jive and stuff that he was using. But um, maybe that's the wrong word to use now. I don't know. Um, I do also like that he said uh, one of his concerns was getting smarter about the game. Uh, the fact that he has an interest in learning the game and learning more than just what he needs to do. Um, that touches on like the whole Derek Stingley thing where you have to have you know back on your lip there. Um, that on the that touches on the whole like Stingley thing where you have to have a different plan for every wide receiver. I think Roger McCreary probably has the same type of mindset where he can learn how to do that. So he no, would fall into yeah. that three year window. So we're gonna go next to Zion McCollum. Is this a guy that you've looked at yet? I haven't looked at Zion in depth yet. Um because he was at like Sam Same Houston State. State. Yeah. So mm -hmm. not really high on my list of priorities. Um, so I don't have much in terms of, I know he ran a 4-3, and I know mm -hmm. he uh, is around the ball a lot. But other than that, I haven't watched enough to know about his, his foundation or his technique or anything like that. All right, so I guess I'll introduce McCollum here. This is a guy that I heard about back in spring football when the FS or – yeah, FCS was playing their lower levels. I almost said FSC because I've been overseas for so long now. Um, so I heard about this. I was in Afghanistan. There were people telling me about this guy while I was there. Um, sometimes his positioning isn't great. His, his physicality could be better, especially in man coverage. He was very mobile in zone. They ran a lot of different stuff. Um, but like the speed's there. He's a decent tackler, decent boundary guy. He might have some size concerns, too. He's kind of up there at 6'2", 6'2", 2", unverified. Uh, yeah, but 6'2", and 2 eighths, so that's 6'2", and 1 quarter. Two eight, like, yeah. I, I, we're not worried about that. Well, I'm, I'm going to worry about it just a little bit, but um, this guy, this guy's pretty, he's an interesting dude, and I... I I was really impressed with the personality that you're going to hear. So let's go ahead and roll Zion McCollum's interview. So you got the opportunity to go play at the Senior Bowl. So you want to talk a little bit about that experience and what you were able to learn down there? It was a cool experience, especially being such a big jump from the FCS level. Yeah. Being able to compete with a lot of those big names. It was really a blessing, and I learned a lot throughout the week. Uh, in terms of like a skill level position, it wasn't too much of a difference, but the O-line is definitely bigger, and the game speed is a lot faster. So it was a cool experience, especially to learn from some of those NFL guys and pick up techniques from some other guys I was playing with. It was pretty cool. You want to talk about some of those techniques and maybe some of the, you know, mechanical points that you picked up on? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I came in, my premier man technique is a single hand jam, and they told me to drop that pretty early and to adopt what they call a pierce step. So that's the premier technique for press in normal down situations. So just being able to learn new techniques like that. 
they pick up on a lot of zone coverage. They run a ton of man coverage at Sam Houston. So just picking up on little yep. things like that. So you also had the opportunity to match up while you were you know, at the FCS level with Christian Watson, for example. You want to talk about some of the challenges that you had while you were trying to cover him and maybe some of the stuff you might have learned there too? Yeah, he's a good receiver. I mean, there's a ton of really good receivers at the FCS level. And I'm sure Senior Bowl, the NFL Combine, a lot of these small school guys are getting their opportunity to show what they can do and that they can compete on the big stage. So, yeah, he's a good receiver just like everybody else. And his length, his speed is definitely something that will convert to the next level. So I'm excited for him as well. Awesome, Zion. Thank you, man. Zion, what is the need? I mean, he sounds smart. It's tough for me to judge off the interview when I haven't watched his tape or anything like that. Um, you know, it, it sounds like he has the interest in learning, uh, you know, different techniques and everything like that. And if he's open to that and can pick them up, then I think that gives him kind of a leg up uh, as far as the next level. Uh, you know, where he said he went in and he was using one te technique and they were like, no, cut that shit out. And he immediately stopped doing it. Like, that's huge. Uh, that shows coachability and maturity, uh, you know, something that he had been doing for years. He stopped doing because they were like, hey, this is wrong, and here's why it's wrong. So you want a guy like that because he's teachable. Yeah, single-hand jam is not going to work at the next level. No. It's just not. And so that's – he's right. The peer, taking it on the peer step and learning how to do that. And I thought – I was very impressed with him. You know, if you saw his demeanor – when you're talking to him, you know, he's just, it just looks like he was taking in the entire experience of the combine. Right. And he was just enjoying it. He's enjoying talking to people and trying to take in what you were telling him too, at the same time, if that makes sense. It very came across as a very, very coachable player. Well, that's good, man. Person. Especially when you're, you're going from the FCS level to the NFL, potentially like you want to be a sponge and you want to learn from all, because you're talking about, he's got guys from, you know, the SEC and ACC and, and every, like the bigger conferences all around him. And he's trying to learn stuff that maybe he couldn't learn in the FCS. And then you've got the NFL coaches and the scouts and the, you know, executives, and he wants to learn whatever he can glean from them as well. So. I, that's that's huge for a young player coming into the NFL. I don't know if you've looked at this guy either, but Alante Taylor out of Tennessee. I mean, I watched Tennessee games, so. Okay, so. Like, who Alante, are you talking to right now? Alante on, Taylor. Man. I know I said, who are you talking to right now? Like, you know better. <laughs> okay, so I have a lot of notes on Alante Taylor. Um, obviously, being the Tennessee fan that I am. Right proudly repping here as we're talking um, and very excited about this next year, but Alante Taylor surprised me. And this interview that we're going to play is almost three and a half minutes long. And it's three and a half minutes long for a reason. Like the dude, the dude really gets in depth, a lot of stuff, but maybe some of your initial impressions, if you don't have too many, I'll go into some months, I guess. He's a project man. Uh, mm -hmm. He has some really good things going for him. Uh, you know, he's not necessarily a small dude. Uh, he's what six foot, two hundred pounds. Mm -hmm. uh, so I got him know. at six foot one ninety three as of the senior role. Okay. Uh, he he ran a four three, uh, almost a thirty five vert, and what was his, yeah. his broad jump was like what one twenty five or something like that. Something crazy. It was. I'm gonna see if I can't get those up here real quick. So I mean, it, it, 
he's been banged up a little bit uh, from what I remember. Uh, and he kind of plays through it. That's good and bad. Uh, at the next level, I don't know if he'll be able to do that as much because he can risk a worse injury uh, and hurt his team by not being available. Um, I do like that he has that grit and that toughness. Um, I, I think that uh, if I remember correctly from the combine, he's got uh, long arms, long legs. Uh, you know, we talk about wingspan, we talk about length. Uh, you can't teach length. So he's got that going for him for sure. Uh, I do think that, and this is me just going based off of Tennessee games, I, I don't remember him being a very uh, fast game speed corner coming out of breaks. Uh, if he has to recover from something, I don't think he's very good at it. Uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I think I've got, he had, I've, got, I've got average recovery, so yeah, you're right. I, I feel like he got burned a few times on some some pretty grotesque routes. So um, now, granted, it is Tennessee, so it's not like he had the cream of the crop around him on defense. So I'm sure that alluded to some of it. But uh, I just I think he's got some stuff to work on. Uh, I think he starts off uh, as a maybe not a practice squad corner, but I think he's a backup somewhere. Yeah, so he had a 128 broad jump at the combine. Okay. So, I mean, he's got the explosiveness and he has the length profile. Um, I'm just not so sure that his agility and uh, mental profiles go along with it. Yeah, so the jam technique I thought was really good. as a pre uh, Coming out of press coverage, he did a lot of good stuff there. He was a little bit too physical at times. So it would surrender a lot of positioning. Um, reacts well. I just wanted to see him play more aggressive and, you know, when he's playing off man and stuff, uh, he did a good job staying with, for the most part, with some of the top receivers they played last year. You know, Tennessee plays Alabama every year. They play Georgia every year, you know, so they have uh, right there a couple of really good games to evaluate. Um, and then zone coverage, I mean, he's not as adept uh, where he needs to there. He plays much better when he doesn't have as much space, I noticed, um, especially in zone. And so in the red zone, he plays pretty strongly there. But let's go ahead and roll this because I think this is going to speak a lot to his, uh, the, the intel concerns that you, you just brought up. How are you doing today, man? Pretty good. So Tennessee, right? Yeah. Talk a little bit about that culture change that you guys just went through going from, you know, Coach Pruitt to, you know, uh, I can't think of his name right now. Coach Hyde. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, it, it was it was different for sure. Uh, two different coaching styles, um, you know, kind of erasing the whole culture that we had before. Um, I feel like the biggest change there was probably just the things that we did off the field, such as dodgeball, things that we did like to build our team chemistry um, was really big. And then you go into the defensive side of the ball. Uh, our playbook was a little bit smaller than it was with the Pruitt staff. Yeah. Um, there wasn't as many checks, wasn't so much thinking really to it. So being able to go, kind of go out there and just fly around and just, you know, get the call and just play that call out uh, was, was big. And if you kind of look at our defense this year in comparison to the last three years before that, um, we put up some better numbers, I would say, just because we didn't have to think so much and we could kind of just go out there and play football. Yeah, you guys had the what, most tackles for loss too this year, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was what they were really, really big on. Uh, a lot of blitzing, a lot of playing man-to-man -man on the outside, uh, making the quarterback hold the ball a little bit longer than normal. And then, you know, Coach Martinez coming in, teaching us different type of techniques to kind of be more 
were comfortable on the outside of uh, yeah. make sure that the pressure got there when we needed it to. So let's talk about your man-to-man -man coverage technique. Yeah. So I like to ask you guys this because I feel like I can learn a lot watching your tape. But what kind of what's that technique style that you prefer to play with? What are you most comfortable doing? Yeah. So I'm more of like a reset the line type of guy. Uh, pair step with my outside foot. Um, with the oats that we've learned offhand jam, which is probably something that will carry over into the league. But uh, with Coach Martinez, we worked on kind of like a two-hand jam, two to one hand. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of makes you stay on top a little bit more um, than normal because if you don't, then your hips are going to get locked up and you're going to get beat easily. So uh, kind of stay on top of routes a whole lot this year, um, which was pretty big because it kind of played a little bit more off on the line of scrimmage. Um, and we could be a little bit more aggressive uh, with this staff than we did like last staff in certain certain areas of the field. So. And I think that Georgia game too, like there were plays that you made against some of those receivers, mm -hmm. and you played against some of the best guys. So, right. you know, talk a little bit about that SEC level if you don't mind me, you know, pointing throwing that out know, and, uh, and what that was like playing in that conference. Yeah, uh, the SEC. Uh, like I'll, I'll always say this, SEC is probably the best conference um, in college football in my opinion. Like you say, you have good guys. Um, going to the University of Tennessee, playing in the East, I mean, you're playing great competition every single week, right? You got Georgia, Florida, Ten uh, Alabama, South Carolina, Missouri. Like, you're playing great competition every single week. So um, it's, it's big, and, you know, in order to come to the SEC and play and do what you have to do, you kind of got to prepare the right way, and you have to work out the right way. So kudos to Coach Schmidt and the strength staff as well as getting our bodies ready so we can compete each week. So last question I got for you, you got the chance to go to the Senior Bowl. Mm -hmm. Talk. What, what were some of the things that you learned there that you were able to apply, you know, that you'll – be showing it a little bit mini camp and you know through the, over the summer yeah uh, really i think the biggest change for me was that five yard rule um it was something that was a big adjustment for me just because uh in college you kind of get longer so and me being a physical guy i like to get my hands on guys and um one thing i had to learn at the senior bowl was that you only get five yards so if you're going to get your hands on guys you got to get them on there early um so now knowing that and kind of having that experience i can now go into mini, rookie mini camp and understand that and i won't have so many like penalties or things like that or like a big like growing change there so awesome thanks so, for the time thank you, dude. of course i do like that he understands that there are weaknesses in his game and things that he needs to change um i just you know not having watched him in depth i can't say that you know i can't honestly say that i've seen him start to work on those things um mm -hmm. but the fact that he knows he has weaknesses in his game and he knows he has stuff that he has to work on strengthens my belief that he's not going to be a starting corner in the league, at least in year one. You know, I think that's fair with him. I mean, there were times where he struggled. I have in my notes on hip flexibility, he struggled to flip his hips and turn back upfield when he has to. And that's why he had some of the average recovery stuff. Um, but he is explosive. He's got a lot of good tools and stuff. He had a really good week at the senior bowl too. So I think that he's got that running for him. The other thing that we haven't mentioned so far, and I know we only have a couple of corners left, but like one of the things that we haven't mentioned so far is that this DB class is extremely, extremely deep. So you're going to see guys that have potential like him go in the fifth and sixth round. And you're going to yep. be like, what did I miss? And you probably didn't miss anything. It's just that the, Man, it, one of the deepest DB classes I've ever seen. And that's something I've been talking to a lot of people about, too. You know, and this came up a lot, specifically at the Combine, is saying, look, like, there's going to be guys here in this class you're going to be seeing that are normally third-round guys going fifth, sixth. And it's not mm -hmm. just the corners that are deep. The defensive line's really deep. The wide receivers are really deep. The running backs are basically all the same. 
I right. mean, with the exception of a few. I mean, that's why we had, what, 38 running backs at the NFL Combine this year, which is Pass an unheard number. Pass rushers deep. Mm-hmm. It's just there's – you can even make the argument say it's a very deep offensive tackle class, you know. There's people offensive talking about – Offensive in general, I think. People talking about Braxton Jones coming out of Southern Utah, went to the Senior Bowl, you know, going, oh, well, the Rams take him and, you know, the, the at the end of the third round playing their comp picks. And it's like uh, – well, you're There's seeing a lot of better options there. Man, you're seeing old Cuzzy from you're seeing old Cuzzy from Boston College being mocked in the seventh round. Like mm-hmm. that alone should give you, and it's consistent. It's not like a, you know one of those things. The mock draft machines always screw up the value of players. Like let's face it, your mock draft is mm-hmm. never realistic. Um, it, but you're seeing that consistently because of the depth in the. Yeah. I mean, Josh Joby going projected to be on day three is just absurdity and joe joby i loved joby i wish he'd come out last year yeah big, um, big joby fan if he came out last year he'd go on day two early day two yeah 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 he would have been a lot sooner but you know he came out and that's i think the issue with this is you know last year we knew that there were going to be a lot of guys that were going to go back to school because of the covid yeah and a lot of guys did that and so you know, this was something I was hearing about back, I want to say in December 2020, you know, people in the league were telling me, look, we're trading picks right now for the next draft because it's going to be so deep. We're going to get so yeah. much value out of our picks there. And so that's the other thing, too, is teams knew that this this class was going to be really deep. Well, I mean, as soon as I said four, that. Fourth round picks. Like, mm-hmm. We've got 10 picks in the top 90, I think. Which is insane this yeah. year. That's insane for this year. You can you can build a team basically like the absolute foundation of a team with that in this class. Yeah. Outside of the quarterback position, because all the good quarterbacks went last year, it seems correct. But still, you we have might get one or two surprises out of this year, but I maybe give or take. They're not exciting. So I am saving, I am saving Darian Kendrick for last. Of course you are. It's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Now, Kyler Gordon is the next guy up out of Washington. Is this the guy that you've looked at or no? I have looked at Kyler Gordon mostly because, like, I don't know how he became, like, the it name for Ravens fans for a week or so there, but it made me want to punch a baby, dude. (laughs) Like, I, I, I don't get it. He's not a technical corner. He's not a foundation corner. Mm-hmm. He's not a splash corner. So I don't understand like what the love affair with Kyler Gordon is. Plus his name Kyler, and let's just face facts, if you're named Kyler, you're automatically at a disadvantage. <laughs> uh, he, Hence his why tackling Kyler isn't great. He's currently trying to negotiate a contract with the media because yeah. he's at a disadvantage. Yeah, <laughs> um, like his tackling isn't good. His coverage isn't good. Like his angles aren't good. His footwork isn't good. His hands aren't good. I, I don't understand why everyone's like, oh, Kyler Moore- Gordon is a good corner. Is he though? Like, I think he has, he's one of those guys, like every so often you get one of those guys that has like 
a decently high floor, but not like a super high floor, but they also don't have a super high ceiling. Like there's a low range of possibilities with what you're going to get with this corner or this prospect, unless something wild happens with him. But like, he's just a guy. And I don't understand why people, and I can tell I'm starting to get tired because I'm starting to get argumentative. Um, like I, in the slot, I guess, is where you're yeah. going to put him. Yeah. And, like, if you're taking a pure slot corner, you're not taking him on day one or early day two. Not unless you're damn sure he's Kenny Moore. Or you're damn sure he's, like, a healthy Tavon Young. Like, I, I don't... I don't get it. I, I think that he has the ability. I think he is capable. He is a capable corner. He's not a good corner. He's also not a dog shit corner so he's got that going for him i guess it's let's just, go ahead like i said Sorry. that low range of possibilities and if you want a safe prospect i guess you take kyler gordon but like we were just talking about with how deep this db class is i i don't view him as exciting i don't view him as a game changer i don't view him as a starter even after that three-year period i don't view him as a starter there's too much cornerback talent in the league. Let's go ahead and roll that interview. I think you're going to like what he has to say, too. Pretty good. So, University of Washington out there in the Pac-12. So, you want to talk a little bit about Washington and, you know, what that experience was like being yeah. out there? Uh, Washington was a, a great experience uh, for an athlete like me. And uh, honestly, just being able to, uh, to get coached by some of the coaches that were there. And uh, honestly, just built my game up and my technique. And I feel like just... Uh, Established me to a pretty good DB. So, what do you think is your biggest strength, you know, as a DB and what you're going to bring to the next level? Yeah, I feel like uh, my versatility mixed with my athleticism, uh, just being able to do a bunch of different things as far as like my ball skills uh, when I'm in man coverage or even zone coverage, uh, being able to be in the run fit as a nickel and blitz off the off the edge, um, being in the run fit, uh, a bunch of different things. Yeah. When you get the man coverage. What is that technique? What's that first? You know, like the the style that you like to play with yeah um it dep- honestly depends on the, on the receiver uh, my study that that whole entire week so it could be anything from establishing the line to jamming to, to mirroring um honestly i just like to have a lot of tools in my back so i can counter with whatever so you feel like you have a lot of those coverage techniques the mirror the the trail perhaps yeah. that you do really well that's correct awesome appreciate the time yeah, no good luck man yeah, thank you, hope- you can feel like you have a lot of tools and still not have a lot of tools <laughs> like, don't get me wrong. I'm not going to walk back what I said earlier. I think it's great yeah. that he studies receivers and he tries to figure out what he needs to do against each one. But, like, you're you're a, a run-blitzing slot corner. You're a niche <laughs> corner. Like, a, a very niche corner. I just I don't understand what people see in him. And maybe I'm way off base on him. Maybe people will laugh at me for this down the road. But I don't fucking think so. Yeah, no, the the thing that I thought was interesting is because when you know when in the Stingley interview, he specifically mentioned studying the receiver and preparing his technique based off of that. And that's what you know Kyler kind of mentioned too. So at least he that's he has the mindset that's there right he acknowledges and, that that's what he needs to do it's the execution that's an issue gotcha okay I, I i actually don't have extensive notes on this guy yet and 
he went up to the CVS booth and I just picked him up coming down. Wasn't expecting too much. I, I liked uh, his personality. I thought he was, a, he came across as a really good dude. Um, but like, but it is, I think you do have a fair point. Niche corner, niche slot guy that you can use as a run blitzing, run stop kind of guy. I mean, that's kind of valuable, you know, when you're going up against certain teams. If you're in the AFC, is style, it though? For example, how many teams use a nickel corner and then on top of that, blitz the nickel corner? Well, think about the, the AFC South right now. I'm not saying it's not useful, but you have to think about the number of teams that actually do that. Baltimore is one. Mm-hmm. And no, I, I the Colts, it. the Colts are one. Yeah, it, that's what, what my point being. You have the Jaguars and the Texans that are going to be doing that a lot this year because you're in a division with Derrick Henry and Jonathan Taylor. And you right. need all of the fucking help you can get to stop those two guys. And, you know, yeah. and I think you're going, see, you're, going to, you're going to see Jacksonville and Houston. They're going to go get running backs this year, too. You know, that they're going to try to use for that same sort of power. You know, whether they mix it up and it's a one-two punch, they're looking at these guys right now, I can promise you, because that's where that, that division has gone. I would just it's, like Jacksonville to use James Robinson for the love of my dynasty team. <laughs> Always goes back to the fantasy football, man. <laughs> but uh, no, I think there's certain teams that they're going to use that, that he's valuable. And now I think if this is last year's draft, he's going day two. And that's because when you look at last year's draft, what what nickels did you have in last yeah. year's draft? This year, yeah, he's probably going to go day three. And a yeah, lot of people I mean, you got guys why? like Roger McCreary, Trent McDuffie, like Josh Joby could play the slot and excel at it. Uh, you had a couple other guys, a couple of them we talked about tonight. Like, mm-hmm. so I I mean I get what you're saying, and I'm and I hate talking bad about cornerbacks, especially the rookies coming out. But like, again, just a guy. And in this case, even less of a guy because you play one position and you do one thing well, and that is be physical and aggressive. That's all you do. <laughs> yeah, we'll see, man. I think uh, I think he's got a good mindset. I think teams will buy into that. Because honestly, talking to a lot of these guys, you kind of see nervous, you see nerves. You see the crazy kind of like, you know, I don't know about this guy at all. Like this guy just does not strike me as a very smart, intelligent person. Right. I'm not saying names. I'm just, there were certain people that you talked to and you kind of came away with like, I, I don't, I, I, I could have probably had a better conversation with the stone. And you, ha- you have to have intelligence and personality to play cornerback. Have to mm-hmm. look at them. All the good cornerbacks in the league, they're smart and they have a personality. That's true. So here's the prime. You've been waiting for this. This is probably going to be the longest discussion of the night on a single player. And uh-huh. it is uh, Darian Kendrick, the cornerback out of Georgia, who transferred into Georgia from Clemson. That you was, said was better than Andrew Booth Jr. I do think he's better than Andrew Booth Jr. I think I could be insane. very wrong about Booth. You are. John, you're the only guy, the only human in the world that thinks Darion Kendrick is better than Andrew Booth Jr. That's okay. I've been wrong before, but I've been right. Stand for my principles, man. 
This is in principles. This is insanity. <laughs> All right. So I'm going to go through my notes. We'll start off that. And you can you can interject at any time. That should be good. Did he did he run his 40? First off, I need to figure it. Did he run a 40? No. Or did he not participate? I don't think he participated. Yeah, so he's holding off for his senior day. Okay. Or pro day, whatever they're called. Pro day. I don't know why I said senior day. All right. Yeah, it's a different thing. So I have excellent speed, stayed with some of the fastest receivers well. Uh, great acceleration, excellent burst. Upper body strength leaves some room for improvement. Not he's really got upper body. He's got upper body strength too, but like the physical receivers that we were talking about earlier, go back. <coughs> excuse me. Go back and watch the tape against any physical receiver that he faced. He got bodied by them, mossed by them, time after time after time after time. Could have used that gun that he had in the gun charge. And it still wouldn't even play into it. They murdered him. Changes direction decently well. Ridiculous recovery. Gets back into the play quickly. A decent tackler tends to be hesitant to engage at times. Has a tendency to play the football instead of the receiver. Also, when he tackles, like, he, he has no functional play strength. Or at least functional tackling strength. Because, again, bigger guys break the tackle fucking see ya <laughs> and, and that's, not even, that's not even counting the parts where he just gets fucking toasted he looks like eli apple out there just getting fucking roasted <laughs> down the field plays ball he, very his well. average reception that average yard per reception he allowed is something like 16.7 yeah. you know what andrew how many, catches, how many how many catches did he give up in 2021 or just in general? Bring this, I'm going to pull this up. I'm going to pull this up. I got I got my PFF right here. Sweet. Defense. Darian Kedrick's seventh ranked player overall on the Georgia defense. Yeah. Let's not talk about PFF ranks. <laughs> I don't, I don't that is awesome, it, but their ranks I don't are... pay attention. Yeah, I don't pay attention to grades. Those are absolutely garbage sometimes, especially with DBs. All right, he gave up 25 catches. Last year with Georgia, 373 yards, 14.9 yards a catch. Um, four interceptions, five passes deflected. If he was playing, uh, a, so NFL passer rating surrendered was 38.6. Okay. The See, same, and this is why I don't understand shit like passer rating allowed, because like Chris Westry gave up similar stats and allowed an 88.2 passer rate. Zero touchdowns. Yeah. No touchdowns allowed this year. That's awesome. Allowing touchdowns is such like, it's a garbage thing too, because like, oh, the linebacker was trying to catch the guy that Kendrick let go. And then all of a sudden the touchdown is on the linebacker instead of Kendrick. Four missed tackles. Um, Made 35 tackles last year, played 787 snaps, was targeted 54 times. So, pretty. De- I would say those are pretty decent numbers, honestly. I think I, that's pretty decent. I don't like raw stats. I want his advanced metrics. Hold on. All right. But I think he plays the ball well. Uh, he's a good ball. He's kind of a ball hawk. Um, 
has the ball skills to work off his assignment and play another receiver, try to make a play on the ball. Tends to be too physical in coverage, plays well beyond the five yards, physical to catch points. So it's, you know, something he's going to have to work on is specifically is the five yard rule, I think. Uh, didn't see him play press very much. In fact, I think the they had him. I guess they don't tell me what he was playing. Oh, well. He didn't play much press from what I could see, but he played a lot of off man, which George did a lot. They mix up their zones pretty, and he was pretty effective, I thought, in zone at least. So, overall, overall, I really like him. I thought he did really, really well at the Senior Bowl too. But that's just that's my two cents on him. That's my notes that I have at the at this point. Um, can't get off his blocks. He can't follow through on his tackles. His angles are not great. Like his hands and eyes. Yeah, you're not gonna. Don't match you're not up. Draft him to be a. You're gonna draft him to be a, a straight up corner. And I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But again, He's a straight up coverage guy. Lack of versatility. You're losing value in the corner. Booth is versatile. Therefore, Booth, Kendrick. Okay. Okay. I've been over this many times. And so a lot of times, I don't like Clemson defenders because of the scheme they ran. You can point to a plethora of Clemson defenders that have come out. Are you telling me that you're watching Andrew Booth and thinking he's a scheme-dependent corner? I'm just saying that I think that the scheme puts these guys, which is what you're supposed to do, but you don't see this a lot at the NFL. Okay, you're supposed to put guys in positions to succeed. But when you're evaluating a prospect, you have to look past the scheme and look at their foundation and their technique and what they do well and what they don't do well and who they are and as I, a human I and I so on and so forth. And then extrapolate and project. You can't just be like, oh, he's in the Clemson scheme. It's built for him to succeed. So we're going to knock a few points up. Like the only time you would knock points off for a scheme and helping someone succeed is if it didn't fucking help him succeed. Like if Andrew Booth was in the Clemson scheme and he was terrible, then you'd be like, oh, well, this guy's dog water. But you can't be like, oh, he was really good in the Clemson scheme. Maybe it's not the scheme. Maybe it's his perfect foundation and technique and coverage ability and physicality and length and everything like that. All right, Maybe all right, it's the prospect, you. not the scheme. Bear with me. I'm going to go back to about, I'm going to start right here about 2019. And I'm going to give you some Clemson defenders that have come out of Clemson. I don't care very... about the other defenders. I don't. I'm making my point. Excuse me. Trayvon Muller, anyway. second round. Is he even in the league anymore? Who? Trayvon Mullen. No. Okay. Dorian O'Daniel. Daniel went in the third round. Yeah, he's out too, I think. Cordria Tankersley. He's corner out of Miami. He's definitely out. Third round pick. Mackenzie Alexander. Second he, round pick. I think he's still in. TJ Green, safety, second round pick. He's out. J. Ron Curse. I'm at twenty sixteen right now. Didn't he just sign someone? J. Ron Curse? I may not be out. No, he's with Dallas. He just started with Dallas last year, but it was his first year as a full starter. 
He spent four years in Minnesota, basically, mm-hmm. as a backup special teams. Played with Detroit in 2020. They cut him. Goes to 20. He goes uh, to Dallas last year and starts in that abhorrent secondary. Point is, there's a lot of there's one exception to this so far, and that's AJ Terrell. He's arguably a top ten corner. Not arguably, he's the top ten corner. So okay. actually, that proves that doesn't prove your point. So you're looking at all that stuff, right? And you went mm-hmm. more and more recent, and more recent, and more recent. So the last one to come out of Clemson in the early rounds was AJ Terrell, a cornerback. Mm-hmm. Who's a very good corner. So what makes you think this one guy? Sudden, you are what makes you think that all of a sudden, all of a sudden they have a guy that, you know, oh, they've got it figured out. They've got really good corners now, all of a sudden. What, when do they update their secondary coach? What year? That's a great question. I don't know. Clemson, secondary coach. He probably just went with uh, Venable, so Oklahoma, most likely, too. Because right now, what you're saying is that. The school produces great college defenders that don't translate to the NFL. That is what you're saying right now. And that is a stupid fucking statement because any player that comes out of any school can break the bolt. All right. So here, Mike Reed has been the defensive, has been the cornerbacks coach for eight years at Clemson. So all of these guys that we just went over, he was their cornerback coach. So maybe it's just the prospect. I don't. My issue with Booth. Let me see if I got my notes because we're because we're going What's down the hole. We haven't we haven't we haven't even gotten to. Uh, we haven't even got. We'll get to Kendrick's here in a minute. I just think Kendrick's better. That's all. I mean, all my notes are very positive. I don't. I'm not saying Booth's not a good player. You're carry on Kendrick Homer is, is what you are. I just, I just like Kendrick. Kendrick came out of fucking Clemson, man. Because of Georgia wins a Natty. Yeah. Argu- well, with arguably the dude. greatest defense ever in, in college football history, but yeah, exactly. Like he, he went- was, he was corner number one, man. <laughs> corner number one on this team. But this he is went to a school, and it was full of NFL first-round talent, matter of fact. <laughs> and you're talking about, like, oh, he won a natty. Okay, so he won the fucking natty all by himself? Like, Eli Apple lost the Super Bowl <laughs> all by himself. That doesn't mean that Darion Kendrick won the natty all by himself by going to fucking Georgia. Okay, but the drop-off. The drop-off in talent from the ACC... To, to the SEC, there is a drop off there. Correct. You have to acknowledge that, especially at receiver. Mm-hmm. That doesn't knock off Booth's fundamentals and ability and God given no. talent and but size. Kendrick, but Kendrick showed that jump already. And Andrew Booth's football IQ is better than Darion Kendrick's, and that's the most important thing in the corner. You're talking about the depth. You need to calm the fuck down, Siri. <laughs> Interrupting me and shit. Who would you who would you compare Darion Kendrick to? A pro player. Mm, I'm terrible at comps, man. 
You keep saying Eli Apple. I don't see that at all. No, 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 no. I wasn't comparing him to Eli Apple. Okay. I was just being a smartass. Mm-hmm. It's just me taking shots at. Um, Unless the comp is just downright obvious, I usually don't do them. That's there was personal. an old corner, Charles Gaines. Do you remember mm-hmm. him? Mm-hmm. That's who Jerry on Kendrick is. <laughs> All right. He was an average at best player in the NFL. Andrew Booth, who would you compare him to? Price Slay. Okay. I was leaning Humphrey. So the fact that we just picked Darius fucking Slay and Marlon fucking Humphrey as his pro comps, (laughs) you're going to tell me Darion Kendrick is a better corner than those two guys. All right. Should we roll this? Should we roll this interview? Thank you. I win. You're You're welcome. (laughs) You You won. Congrats. Let's go ahead and roll that interview. You switched from Clemson to Georgia. And you won the Natty this year. So you want to talk a little bit about the difference in the cultures between the two programs? Uh, I say uh, one, two, no, two different of culture, but uh, I just say felt you know a little bit more comfortable when I when I landed in Georgia. You know, people that I can lean on each and every day, and not really keeping myself you know isolated sometimes. And that's what I had to work on, just, you know, just putting trust in people. Gotcha. Okay, so your man coverage technique. Yes, sir. What, what is that your favorite one to go to? What do you like to use the most? Uh, you no, know, I switch it up sometimes, but, you know, just, you know, pure stepping, uh, re, re and, you know, what what the release is going to be like. And that, that's that's coming off of film, to be honest. Uh, you know, knowing how he like to release, what routes he like to run, when he releases. So, and just keep, you know, playing with my eyes and not getting, you know, too physical. What was that like? What was it like for you making that play in the national championship that put that game away? Is there, uh, you no know, coach, coach just telling me that it's that, it's that time they, they're going to put the ball in the air. So, you know, just being locked in, uh, taking those deep breaths, staying composed with the ball in the air. And, you know, just, show, just showing that, that I can be that guy that you can depend on uh, on that island. So, what was the main difference from you going from the SEC championship game? Maybe in a mentality, maybe it was something that you did on tape or whatever, like observed on tape, whatever that was. Yes, between going from the SEC championship game and then playing them again in the championship. All right. Uh, first, I just say, uh, really, how we playing the game. Uh, first game, we we got we got away from ourselves a little bit, uh, but. After that game, we, we just, you know, locked in and got back to the base. Uh, anymore. Did, like, he says he wants to be the guy you can trust to be on an island. You have never shown the ability to be on an island against a top wide receiver and handle your business. Never. Not high school, not college. You think you're going to do it in the NFL now? What are you, you trying to say you went back and watched his high school tape too? Is that what you're no, trying to tell me? I'm just assuming because what was he, fucking <laughs> three-star prospect? No, he's a five-star. He's a five-star coming up. Oh, well, that's weird. Five-star, He's point zero nine eight five. 
He's a CB4 on most teams, man. He's a CB7 in Baltimore. Well, maybe not anymore. I think we just cut fucking every corner except for Marlon and Marcus. But yeah, something like that. Like, just even this interview, man, and maybe this is my bias because, like, you try to say he's better than Booth, which is, again, fucking ridiculous. But, like, he just seems so uninterested. And, you know, the uh and the, like, uh, like lackadaisical and one thing he's going to have to learn is that if you're going to make it in the NFL, there are going to be times where you have to speak to the media and it's only a very special kind of person that can get away with being a dick to the media. So, uh, you know, based on this interview, I think that's something that he would have to work on. And that seems like a very nitpicky thing to those people that are like, well, who cares if he plays well on the field, blah, blah, blah cool at the same time like this is part of the life in the nfl so it's stuff to pay attention to and if you go even further with that uh the way you handle yourself as a person and interact with others has a bearing on how you view yourself and how you can help yourself succeed or fail so it's something that he will have to work on as far as the mental uh, aspect of his game. Right, I can. I'll say it's fair. I just, I have a gut, gut feeling about him, man. Is what it kind of comes down to. I think that he and Booth are close, from my evaluation. Um, it's just kind of a gut feeling, kind of saying, yeah, this guy's. <clears throat> I think he's going to end up being a better corner out of the two of them. I could be very wrong. I've definitely been wrong before. You are. <laughs> There's no could be. You, you are. I just but, man, he's he's a career backup. I'm willing to do a five year bet with you. <laughs> if he's still a backup in five years. No, no, no. Just purely whoever has the better career in five years. It's enticing. Because my ego's on the line. And I am a betting man. To be a friendly what bet. What about D Force? Well, not for much longer. You didn't promote it? Yeah. Disgusting. Why would you do that? <laughs> because I have three years left and I don't have a choice. <laughs> and the money's better. Uh, that's fair. You got a kid. Yeah. And TRICARE. It's nice to nice to have that too which in the guard you have to pay for it but ah just bust your knee up dude they'll give it to you <laughs> and you can get out and you don't have to be an e5 well do what i, I did uh, i might do the stupid thing in the <laughs> i don't know yet Depends. yeah that's that seems ridiculous yeah. uh yeah five years better career 50 bucks 10 bucks a year all right cool sounds good let's try it I think Booth will be playing before Kendrick, but yeah. You can just go ahead and send me the 50 bucks now. <laughs> just Venmo it. <laughs> like right now. <laughs> it's over. I just, it, he's one of those guys that I, I tried. To, I even watched him with an open mind after you said that. Like I went back and I rewatched a couple of games and I was just like, no. See, I thought the, I thought the, Championship in particular, he played really well. Granted, Jamison goes down. That probably had something to do with it. 
Correct. But Jameson Williams is a force. Yeah, and I, I think I just mocked Jameson at uh, 13 to the Browns to replace Jarvis, and then he would fit that. He would basically fill in immediately for Jarvis. I would like Assuming to they go ahead and let him mock Jameson Williams at 45. He's not going that far. No, that would be wonderful, though. I would be extremely happy. It would, it would be a dream come true. His, yeah. Something would have to be really fucked up with his medicals. You imagine Jamison Williams, Rashad Bateman, Hollywood Brown, and Mark Andrews on the same yeah, it'd be freaky. You're right. It'd be freaky. And J.K. Dobbins. Did you even look at my mock draft? Probably. You don't pay attention to shit that I say in the chat, huh? No, not when you guys start going off and I'm busy. And then I come I back said, and I'm like, yeah, I, reading all this. I love Jordan Davis, dude. Oh, yeah, okay, good. I've been a Jordan Davis guy since day three. What's day three? Uh, it's, it's, yeah. Everyone says, oh, since day one. Like, no, you weren't. Uh, but like for a <laughs> long time, yeah, I'm like, man, Jordan Davis is a freak. And then he tested out of control at the combine. Yeah, he's just... a fucking animal. The only issue is he's going to be probably a two down guy at the next level i think um just because if you look at how alabama beat georgia in the sec championship um georgia likes to do those line shifts on the defensive line like run it like it's almost like a hockey team they had like yeah. three different lines that would go in there and every two three snaps they're rotating those guys out yeah and so bama picked up on that and what they did was they started running hurry up coming off of those second third plays when they normally start swapping those guys out and they started doing that in the championship game too problem was in the championship game when uh williams went down they had two backup receivers yeah and were not comfortable running that hurry up at all at that point you know with trying to keep them on the same page with bryce and so they got away they were not running any hurry up at all and they were able to do their line shifts and they came right back into the game but that's kind of the issue. That's the only issue that I have with him is you're looking at a two, three down player at tops. But while he's on the field, he's going to be a monster. And it just made sense. Like the Ravens are losing almost everybody on the defensive line right now. Yeah, I think we're probably like bringing, I think we're probably bringing Calais back, but I think Brandon yeah. Williams is probably gone. Um, Derek Wolf might and come you're back. You're going to have to replace Williams. And yeah. Why the fuck wouldn't you replace Williams with Davis? Yeah, exactly. So because then you're, I mean, you have the same like big body that can take the double teams, but also Jordan yeah. Davis has pass rush, pass rush juice, which Brandon Williams really never has. So there was a play against in the first game against Clemson where he got a one on one opportunity with the right guard and he just pushed that motherfucker all the way back past the quarterback, pivoted and made the sack. And it was all in like three seconds. And I was He's watching an animal, that. Dude. So if you, you have him get in him the like middle, that. and then you have Owe on the outside, and then whoever the hell you're going to have on the other side, and whoever the hell else you're going to have in the middle, like, man, if you can go bing, bang, boom, like, if Ojabo was there at 14, I think yeah. you'd take Ojabo, because that's, dude, Owe on one side, and Ojabo on the other, forget about it. And then you turn around and take, like, uh, Wyatt or something in the second. But um, well, you could you could make that argument. Why it's not going to be there in the second? I'm going to tell you that right now. 
Wyatt is not going to be there in the second. Uh, I mean, I viewed him as a second yes. or third round guy before the combine, yeah. and you know, I don't put much stock in the in the testing unless it's severely I don't out of control. I don't like Jordan Davis was severely out of control. Here's here's the deal: is with Davis and Wyatt, the way that they're viewed pretty much across the league right now is one A, one B. And I it's feel like they should be because Wyatt is. Wyatt is, I think he's got better stamina. He's a more versatile player. You could play him as a one or a three or a four yeah. I. You know, so you can put him anywhere on that defensive line on the inside. You could play pretty much anywhere on the defensive line, the three-man front. So they're going to stick. He's going to go. He's going to be off the board either before. You know, it's a kind of a preference. He might be off the board before Davis, but if he's not off the board before Davis, it'll be very shortly thereafter. I think I just mocked him at 19. No, not that's Walker. Uh, twenty-two to the Raiders. Ah, uh, Trayvon Walker's a monster too. Yeah, he's. There's people talking about he might go before Thibodeau, which I don't see. I don't know about that. But there were people coming out of the combine going, "Yeah, he's going before Thibodeau," and I was like, "Okay." Well, then you're talking up. Then you're talking about Tibbs dropping to like the mid-teens. No, Tibbs. Tibbs goes top ten. I, I think he does I, too, but I can't I see a world where five. I don't either. I really don't. I but I don't see a world where Walker goes before five. No, I don't see that either. I'm just telling you what people were saying, like you know, coming out of the combine. But there's definitely some people that were thinking, yeah, he's he's just that good. Like he I could go there just, before Tibbs. We just need to go ahead and put a bottle mask on Kyle Hamilton because I think his perfect range is somewhere between 13 and 15. <laughs> Literally right between 13 and 15. You know, I don't think he gets past the Jets. I don't think he makes it past uh, at 4? No, because the Jets have 4 and 10, so I'm saying he's not going to get out of the 10, but I wouldn't be shocked if... He's they, not making it past 7, bro. I don't. I wouldn't be shocked if they take him at 4. I think and the reason I'll, the I'll best, tell you why. He's the best prospect in the draft. Yeah, and I'll tell you why. You you've got an extra draft pick this year in the first round, tenth overall, right? From the Seahawks. Why do you have that pick? Jamal Adams. Right. He's a box safety, right? He's pretty much limited to the box. Yeah, sure. You, you don't really want you don't want him in deep coverage, even though Seattle yeah. plays him there. And he because he gets toasted when he's there. But yeah, you can put him in like a half field third field situation, but anything beyond yeah, that. He's no rusted. single high. Yeah, Absolutely no. no single high. But you, so you've got an extra first round pick and you really don't want to be using your top picks. Like, everybody who's in the top five right now outside of me. Who's in your top five? five? Oh, you mean like teams, gotcha. Yeah, teams. Everybody's there in the top five outside of maybe the Giants who would love to get a trade back. Yeah, and it's because the top uh, end talent in this not class Jacksonville. Is not... Jacksonville doesn't want to trade back, not unless they're getting. No, Jacksonville would love to trade back. So actually, I said lose there. out on Evan Neal. I think they're going to take Neal. I I don't think they. I think that they wouldn't mind moving back if they had the opportunity to though. So here's, I sat there. Uh, I got. I sat there with Trent Balake. I said that wrong. Trent Balky. Yeah, GM. I sat at a bar at the bar with him for a couple minutes. Um, I'll tell you a story off the air about that too. It was pretty cool. 
But, um, you know, I, I was the first thing I said to him is, look, because I'm sitting there wearing my media tag. And when you're walking around the combine, like the hotels and stuff, the JW and the Marriott's over there, that's kind of like a, oh, don't talk to that guy, run, you know, it's almost like a red flag. But uh, and normally I would hide it. But that day I didn't because it was Sunday and who gives a fuck at that point. But um, I just said the first thing I said to him was I was like, look, I was like, I'm not like the rest of the media. I'm not going to sit here and ask you who you're taking number one. And what he said was, he's like, I don't know, maybe you should tell me who we're going to take number one. <laughs> you know, kind of like a, <laughs> I don't even know at this point. And that's kind of the attitude with the top five picks right now is, who do you take up there? You know, the, these are not. Kyle Hamilton, and you don't look back. And Lori Fitzpatrick, she was on this, she was on the show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, she covers big, the Jaguars. She's on a podcast mm-hmm. on the Believe Network with Connor yeah. Miles and Clay Harbor. And she was saying, take him at one. You know, he's the best player in the class. Why not? You need a, you need a boundary guy. You need a safety back end. You know, it's like, well, that makes sense. I just don't know if you take a safety at one because it's you're taking a safety at one, you know? Who cares? Like, who cares about, like, these, <laughs> oh, don't take a safety in the, for a while it was don't take a safety in the first round or don't take a tight end in the top 20 or, like, these stupid little things that they say because of positional value and shit. When you run into a player like Kyle Hamilton, fuck the tradition, fuck the taboo. Like, who cares? He's not just a safety. Like, his versatility is unmatched. Kyle Hamilton is the best prospect in this draft, and it's not close. Like, who's next? Who's your second overall prospect? Probably Kayvon, honestly. Right. Is Kayvon as versatile as Kyle Hamilton? Absolutely not. Okay. Can he make as big of an impact on your games as Kyle Hamilton? You, not, not immediately. I think Kayvon's going to end up being arguably a top five edge, but it's going to take him a couple of years to get there because he still needs, like uh, Jeff Schwartz was pointing this out the other the other day. He needs to work on his hands. Uh, he's awesome. Um, he needs to work on his hands a little bit, but once he kind of starts to really get that, and the problem was Oregon was moving him around all over the place and having him play all kinds of different stuff, and that so kind of hurt him. I guess a better question would be, Right. So take position out of it. Okay. We can okay. agree that Kyle Hamilton is a complete a number player. One. You know right? Yeah. And he's a complete player. Yeah. Name me one other prospect in the top 10 prospects that you have, top 10, 12, that's an absolute complete prospect. Evan Neal. He has no weaknesses. Evan Neal has played, came, in, came into Alabama. I just pointed this out today. Went into Alabama in 2019 as a true freshman playing left guard. Yeah. In 2020, as a true sophomore, he played right tackle. 2021, as a true junior, he played as a left tackle. He's got his versatility. He's versatility. a five-position five position player. Yeah. You, well, probably four. Maybe not. Yeah, it's maybe center. not center. Yeah. But, yeah, and he played right guard in high school. So then you would right. say that your options for – 1-0-A are Kyle Hamilton, Evan Neal. Yeah. So if you're the Jaguars, since we're talking about them, right, mm-hmm. what makes a bigger impact on the success of your team? That That is a completely, that is a position completely up for debate. 
And is it left tackle or is it free safety? Slash well, inside linebacker slash corner play. slash slot. See, he's probably not going to play left tackle. Because they just franchise tagged Cam Robinson? Cam, yeah. But I think the I think the plan is speaking of which, why? <laughs> because because who are you gonna replace him with? You yeah, draft a fucking turnstile. Here, here, listen, listen. He's not that bad. You could replace him with team. You could replace him with 2020 Andrew Thomas and be better off. He's not top fifteen, but he's not terrible. Okay. He ain't top twenty. Who are you, who are you gonna who are you gonna get to replace him? Evan Neal. No, so so hear me out. Hear me out. This is this makes the most sense to me. And this sounds like something that Doug Peterson would be on board for because Peterson, everybody knows, loves offensive linemen and wants to be strong in the trenches and defensive linemen. He was the one who started the whole well, Saban technically did, but he stole it from Saban and started using it in the NFL, the whole swapping out defensive lines and rotating your defensive line, having a deep edge rusher group and versatile guys and all that, blah, blah. All right, that's Doug Peterson. You can t- you know that Neil can play right tackle because you just watched him go win a natty in 2020 as right. that right tackle. He's made the swap every year. Talking with some offensive line coaches, they were telling me, we want to like, you know, if I'm going to swap a guy from left to right, I want to give him five to six weeks to prep it before we do that. Just to get through those mechanics, the mirroring, learning all that stuff, right? Yeah, you got to reverse so, Exactly. So you know that he can do it because he's already done it three times. Coming out of high school as a right guard to left guard, then to right tackle, then to left tackle. So you know he has no issues with that. You put him at right tackle this year, you play out Cam. If you can't come to a long-term deal, which you probably don't, he walks. He goes sign somewhere for twenty million a year, thinking he's a bookend tackle. Dude, dude, Nate Solder got paid like crazy. Cam Robinson. There is a, a, a dearth of or a lack of talent in the offensive line in the NFL. So, so that I get what you're saying, but to say like Cam, Cam Robinson is worth year. twenty million a year is absurd. Right, but so Cam goes next year probably. You're probably not going to work out a long-term deal with him. Right. So now you have your bookend left tackle. And you you solidified your line as well as you're going to for this year. So long-term, looking at it that way, yeah, it would suck not to get Kyle Hamilton because, I mean, that's a guy that's going to play in the back end of your defense probably next decade. If you could potentially, number one, you might be able to trade back up into the first round and pick up Lewis Seen. That's a one high safety. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of DBs in this class, and you can kind of pick. You can pick your poison. There's only one Evan Neal. So, so uh, there's a lot of one Kyle Hamilton. Because you're not just but talking about a, a free safety. You're talking about he can play box, he can play corner, he can play slot, he can play yep. linebacker. Yep. Yep. But the I danger with that is then you run into the whole Isaiah Simmons thing. Right. Where, like, I was about where to bring that up too. I think Isaiah Simmons, I think, is probably a will linebacker. I think Kyle Hamilton is a free safety. That's And I, I'm going to agree with you because I think that's what he does best. But point being, 
your offensive line, you have a, a, a franchise quarterback that you're trying to figure out right now in Trevor Lawrence. Everybody's been talking about Trevor Lawrence being the godsend, the next Peyton Manning, whatever the fuck they call him. So, like, point is, you're going to do everything you can to protect him. And so I think that's the, that's why Neil is the more valuable guy at number one. And that's because he has that versatility. You can play him in any of those four positions, left or right, doesn't matter, left or right guard, left or right tackle. And he's going to do it at a very high level. That gives you so much flexibility, not just now, but in the future with who you bring in to play on that offensive line. So and then if he ends up at left tackle next year, you know he's going to play there for another decade. So we've kind of lost the thread here a little bit, but getting back to the whole where does Kyle Hamilton fall to thing. Yeah. Who goes next? Aiden? The, yeah, Aiden's going to go to Detroit touch? if he's there. And then what about 100%. Houston? Do they trade back or do they want Icky? I think they're going to play like they want Icky, but right now they've got what's-his-face. Uh, who do they traded for? Tunsil. Yeah, Tunsil. Yeah. So you got Tunsil there already. I think he's got another year or two on his contract. Icky's never played right tackle. Okay. So why so would you draft him and, and try to move him over there to the right side? So then you have the Jets at four. That's where who, I think Kyle goes. If you were going to project a trade with Houston, right, who do you yeah. think has the juice to trade up to three and is willing the to Giants. do Giants. From five or from seven? From five. They'll give them both to get Icky right now. They love Icky. But they then you're running into the so same bad. problem. Andrew Thomas put together a very good year at left tackle last year. So do you move Andrew Thomas to right tackle? He can or play do you right. move Icky to right tackle? He can play right. Andrew can, because he did. So True, but he's played left for the past couple of years. And he showed he, last he year right. that he could he play it very right. well. Initially, when he got to Georgia, that's when he played right tackle. Was that's what I'm saying, though. It's a, it's a few years removed from that. And Andrew Thomas has played left tackle very well, or at least did last year. So do you move him from the position that he's shown himself the ability to excel at and then stick Icky there and potentially fuck your lineup? Personally, personally, no. I wouldn't do it. Personally. But I can tell you, I've heard from multiple people who really know this. Yes, the Giants will do anything to get Icky right now. They think he, they are, they love Icky. They want him more than anybody in this class. So I, that's why in my mock, I had him trade up. So, they so that's why you like think a, Kyle Hamilton at four. Yes. I don't think he slips past four personally. Okay. And then Tim falls sense. in right there at five. And that would be Houston. Yeah. At that point in this yeah. scenario. Yes. All right, I can see that. I don't know that Baltimore stays at 14 um, unless a extremely good prospect falls. You think they're going to try to move back? Uh, maybe. I, I think they're going to try to move is what I think. Okay. Uh, unless they see somebody start to fall. Um, so this will be a draft day decision, not a... Yeah, I don't think this is a, yeah, they don't really do the whole two months in advance. We're going to try to move thing, even when they tried to move up for uh, Larry Tonsil, it was a spur of the moment thing. 
It wasn't. Yeah, because he was he was slipping. Was it Tunsil or Zeke? They tried to move up. They tried to trade with the Cowboys anyway, uh, and the Cowboys told them to fuck off. And that was a it was a draft day decision. Most of them have been draft day decisions. They see how the board falls and then they they work from there. Uh, but That's I think the advantage that you have when you're not a a team picking in the top ten every year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's weird picking at fourteen. You being able to pick before midnight is a uh, it's a strange feeling. <laughs> well, I'm about well, yeah, running out of juice. So do you have anything else you want to discuss? No, I think that's you got it. But yeah, so uh, Darian Kedrick, stand right here now from this point on because uh, I have fifty dollars riding on it. Unbelievable, dude! I demand that you change your <laughs> change your Twitter name to Darian Kendrick Stand. <laughs> so if I lose this bet, I suppose that's that'll be a condition. Oh yeah. Oh my God! If no, <laughs> it's not money, dude. It's it's changing. It's changing no. my name. It, no, it's a tattoo. Oh my god! <laughs> if you lose, you have to get Andrew Booth Jr.'s face. <laughs> and if I lose, I have to get Darion Kendrick's face. <laughs> Does it have to be somewhere where you have to look at it? Is the question though? No, we can go in practical jokers with us, dude. Get it on your thigh. You can cover it up. I don't care. <laughs> All right. That works. That's, that's the that's one. worth more than fifty dollars. It sure is. I can't <laughs> wait to see Andrew Booth Jr.'s face on your thigh. Be like, I'll probably I'll honestly probably be married at that point. My wife would be like, What are you doing? Oh, yeah, doing? Your, your wife's gonna hate you. Blame be it like, on well, me. No, actually you can't blame it on me. Yeah, you can't blame it on me. You can blame it on your own dumbass fucking take. <laughs> or Darian Kendrick. Somebody. Put the blame on somebody. Make her hate. Probably don't need to make her hate you. Yeah. Well. Probably a bad idea. That's it. Fucking blame the corner that has no idea what's going on. <laughs> exactly. Poor guy. I interviewed for two minutes at the combine. I heard more uhs than I think anywhere else on the fucking planet. <laughs> yeah, that was a tough lesson. But I mean, some people just aren't good speakers. So. All well, right, fair man. Enough. Thanks for coming on, Tibbs. It's been a pleasure having you. You didn't yeah, talk too bad, so I'm okay. I'll, my yeah, ego will survive another day. Luckily, you caught me on a on a tired day. Uh, but uh, basically, anybody that wants to find me can find me on Twitter at Late Round Corner, uh, or you can find my work if I ever decide to write it, anything ever again uh, <laughs> on NFL Sapien, Draft Sapien. Uh, I just, I have an idea urge, man. I, I'd rather do like podcast guest spots and just spout random bullshit on Twitter. That's where you can yeah. find like my opinions. If, if you want to know how I feel about a prospect, come to Twitter, ask me about it. And I will gladly engage in a conversation with you about it. And I can testify. This is incredibly true. This is probably the most true thing I've heard you say tonight. In fact, um, I think this is the, that what no. defines you as a person. The most true thing I've said tonight was that Andrew Booth was better than Darion Kendrick. <laughs> Subjective. That is, up, that is completely up for debate. Tape don't lie. Again, thanks a lot, dude. And uh, I'll see if I can't swing you in again in the next month to update on some different yeah, stuff. And then we'll definitely do a, a post-draft 
recap type deal. 100%. Sounds great, dude. Take it All easy right. tonight. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening, guys. And uh, yeah, you have a good rest of your night, buddy. You too, man. All right.